I think there's a, a few of you that the Lord's still meeting with, and I just want to encourage you, don't pay any attention to me. You just keep, keep receiving from him, all right? Keep, that's much more important. Um, but I just want to share, oh good, there's a clock up there. Um, I just want to share uh, just, just a few thoughts, really, and, um, and kind of, uh, this is just a gap between Jesus meeting with people, yeah? Um, I'm not under any illusions that you're going to get anything grand. But there are just a few things that I think that the Lord has been saying to me afresh. And I hope maybe he wants to say uh, to you folk as well. Um, We've come out of a time that's been really dry for many people and really difficult. And for some leaders, we were talking about it with the senior leadership team earlier on, quite disillusioning. It's just been... You know, it's like, it's not about forging ahead. Uh, It's about getting back to where we were before we can... And for those of us that are are visionaries and those of us that get excited about stuff, that's actually quite hard, you know? It's actually, oh, I don't want to go back to where we were. I want to go further. I want to go deeper and all of that. But I think in this time, what the Lord is doing uh, is he's using it to refine us to refine the church and um, to, to, to speak to us about what would, well, for me, I won't say for us, for me at any rate, and some of my friends, it's been a reminder, look, what are you in this for, Mike? Are you in this for me? Are you happy? Are, are you content if you have me? You know, what's that song, old song, take the world but give me Jesus? You know, if, do I really mean that? If you took everything away and I just had you, would you be enough? I want you to be enough. And I think it's an opportunity to return to our first love, to our first love. Will I still love you? Will I still be faithful to you? Will I still obey you when there doesn't seem to be a reward for a while? When there doesn't, Lord, you are my shield and my very great reward. That's what you said to Abraham and you say it to me. You are my shield and my very great reward. And uh, I think that is something that God is doing in a sense to refine us because the way we're going to reach the world with the gospel, I'm more and more convinced, is not by better branding, you know? And I'm not against branding, you know? You know, branding in its place can be good. When you say Starbucks... You know, wherever, when you see the sign anywhere in the world, you know what you're going to get. You know, when you see the McDonald's um, arches, you know what you're going to get anywhere in the world. But that's not going to win the world. You know, that's, that makes us do it a bit better. We're not going to win the world by being more slick. Um, and it's better to do things well than to do things badly. I have discovered, you know, it is, it is much better, you know, to, to, to do things to well than to do them badly. And we're not going to win the world by, by being cleverer um, or by, by or any of those things. In the end, you know, there's a saying, everybody loves a lover. And I think people are attracted to lovers of Jesus. And it's our devotion and our love for him that draws people to him and uh, that's that's the bottom line and it's not something we can fake 
And it's not something we can manufacture. And it's not something we can drum up. And it's not something we can market. It's something that he does. Either he does it or he doesn't. But our job is to wait for him. They that wait on the Lord will renew their strength. You know that um, uh, before the day of Pentecost, they were in the upper room. And they were praying and waiting on the Lord for 10 days. They were waiting. You know, most of us would have given up after 10 minutes. Certainly 10 hours. I mean, Lord, what a prayer meeting, 10 hours. You know, but they were waiting for 10 days. And then at 9 o'clock in the morning, the most odd time. You know, if if I was the Lord, I would have made it 9 o'clock in the evening when everyone had warmed up. Not when no one was expecting nine o'clock in the morning, and suddenly, having waited, suddenly he came, and all bets were off, and everything changed. Everything changed. And if he did it then, he can do it now. If he did it for them, he can do it for us. And if he did it to them, he can do it to us. And I want to suggest that maybe one of the things that the Lord is teaching his church in these days is to learn a deeper dependence on him and reliance on him. And um, I think there are certain um, uh, teachings of scripture um, that seem to be contradictory, but I don't think are. And um, uh, what do you call it when there's the polarities? And uh, and there's uh, there, you know there's 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 certain polarities, and I don't think the answer is trying to find a middle ground between the two. I think the answer is holding both extremes, believing both extremes, intention, because this isn't an intellectual exercise. This is a relationship, and in a relationship, have you noticed with anyone you know they're complicated? Have you noticed with anyone you know there's Hey, you're, you're getting married, and you just patted her knee when I said you're complicated, and like she's... Okay. I'll see you after. Um, <laughs> I couldn't resist that. I'm sorry. Don't worry, I'm not going to pick up... I know him. I'm, I'm actually, I'm actually going to... Um, yeah. Uh, but there's these polarities, and in relationships, you know, you, so-and-so can be this at this time and this at this time. That doesn't mean, that, that means they're, they're fully a personality. And uh, the, the obvious ones in Scripture are um, God's sovereignty and our free will. And, uh, and the truth is, um, there's, there's, the, there's the truth in both. And when you get that... When you really get that, you rejoice that he is in charge. You rejoice that he is the Lord. But it's not all about, um, but it's also, right, you call me to do stuff. You call me to respond. You call me to serve you. And you call me to change the world, to change my world. And I want to look at a couple of polarities that I think in the things of the spirit we need to hold together. The first one is the seeming polarity between Mark 5 and John 5. And I think this is really, really crucial. Mark 5, 
talks about the woman who'd been bleeding for 12 years, who went through the crowd. She reached out, she touched Jesus, and he didn't even know she was touching him. He says, who touched me? I felt power go out from me. And she says, it was me, and she's healed. She's healed of 12 years of bleeding. And that is a picture of us taking the initiative. You know, and, and that is in Scripture. That is a whole, I'm, I'm not against that. I'm for, it's, it's all over the Scripture. Ask and you will receive. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. Uh, the, the, the extreme example of that is Smith Wigglesworth, who once said, if God doesn't move me, I will move God, <laughs> which is <laughs> a scary thing to say. But anyway, um, uh, but, but do you know, there's, there's that, we reach out, we intercede, we knock on the door of heaven, we push forward, we, we ask, we, we tarry, we, all of that. That's one. Here's the other one, John 5. Jesus goes to the pool of Bethesda. And there are lots of people, it says, round the pool who are crippled and blind. And they're waiting to get into the pool because they they believe that it's got healing properties. And there's hundreds of them. There's loads of them round the pool. And Jesus goes to one man, just one. And he says, he'd been crippled for 38 years. And when someone's lived with a condition for 38 years, the first question you want to ask is, do you want to get well? Do you want to get well? Or are you so used to this that it's become your friend and you can't imagine life that isn't with, with this going on in your life? And he heals him. And later on in John 5, in his discourse with a bunch of people, I think in part, I know theologians among you, this is what he says is much bigger than this, but I think it includes this. He says, I only do what I see my father doing. And in another place, he says, I only speak the words my father gives me to speak. And in John 5, it's like the father speaks to him, that one today, that one right now, that one. And I think that's the same thing as when Peter and John, <coughs> they're walking to the temple and they're going past the gate beautiful. And there's this, this beggar, crippled beggar, uh, begging for money and it says in the scripture Peter looked at him intently he looked at him intently it was a second ah and then he says and there are lots of beggars at gate beautiful that's where they congregated they congregated at the gates of Jerusalem and uh, silver and gold have I none but that which I have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth rise up and walk And there's these two strands. One, we initiate. The other one, God initiates. Both are biblical. Both are right. In charismatic churches, we've 95%, we've done the first and not the second. And I just want to redress the balance a little bit. We are meant to strive, to reach out, to knock on the door of heaven. But there is, I promise you, something utterly beautiful that happens when we say, Lord, I'm going to step back, you lead, we'll follow. You initiate, we'll respond. Are you doing something right now? I think you are. And I hadn't planned what just happened. 
All right, I promise you, I had not planned it. But it was just like, something's going on here. Do I just get on with the talk? And there was a bit of me that was, but this is what they're expecting. You know, this is what I've been asked to do. Uh, and, this is, and it was like, but you know what? We might miss something. Let's just make space. And the truth was, I wasn't sure. And it was like, I think this is you, Lord. And if nothing happens, nobody dies. You know, no one, no one's going to, oh my, we will have just, would have just wasted 10 minutes or, or been in silence 10 minutes. And then it was the dancing hand of God. The spirit began resting on folk and you saw that. And it was a precious time for some people here and we could have missed it. And so often when we carry on with our agenda and we don't say, Lord, here's our plans but you can tear them up if you want. When we do that, something beautiful can happen. And that's not to not do the first, it's to do both. So I'll park that for a moment, and I want to get on to the second polarity. Um, And that is this. The gifts of the Spirit are charismatic gifts that are given by God. They are gifts of the Spirit. And in 1 Corinthians 14 verse 1, Paul says, make love your aim and eagerly desire the spiritual gifts, especially the gift of prophecy. And so we've got to remember that it's always about making love our aim. If anything else is our aim, it's bad. Bad. If anything else, if the aim is to look good, bad. If the aim is to have an exciting meeting, bad. If the aim is love, good. That's very deep theology I've just given you there. Okay, Tim Keller would be proud of me, as would N.T. Wright. And, uh, and, and bad, good, you see. And, and so there's that. So it, the, the gift of prophecy is a gift. That's one strand in Scripture. Here's the other one, that in the charismatic movement, whatever it's called, our kind of church, we often miss Hearing the voice of Jesus is our birthright. It's our birthright. It's, you know, Jesus, all you have, the only qualification you need to hear the voice of Jesus is to be a sheep. Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice, and they recognize my voice. And occasionally, someone comes to me and says, I've never heard God speak. And my response is, oh, I'm sorry, you need to become a Christian. You're not a Christian then. And they look a bit puzzled. And it's like, if you're a Christian, if you've given your life to Jesus, of course you've heard God speak. Because he, he wooed you. He opened your eyes. He gave you revelation. But you expect it to come in a particular package. And you don't recognize it when it doesn't come in that package. And I remember my friend and colleague, Andy Croft, when he was my intern, he was always moaning, oh, I never hear God speak, God never speaks to me. And I was getting really fed up after a while. It was like, will you, enough of this negativity, you know, just stop being negative around me and all of that. And then one day he came up to me and he said, hey, I was just reading in the Bible this passage and he read it to me and he said, and do you know, I think the Lord is saying this, this and this. And I said, do you? really? And he said, yes. And I said, he can't be though. He can't be. And he said, why? And I said, because God doesn't speak to you. 
You see, sometimes I move in the gift of sarcasm. <laughs> and there is a place for that. And, and it's like, you see, God spoke to you. God spoke to you. And, and when we realize he's always wanting to speak to his people, it takes the pressure off. And I, I believe in the gifts of the Spirit. I believe in anointings, but we've misunderstood what anointing means. In the Old Testament, God anointed prophets, priests, and kings, and on one occasion, a donkey, which I still don't understand. But he anointed prophets, priests, and kings. He anointed a few. In the last days, says the prophet Joel, I will pour out my spirit on everyone on everyone and we've got to stop we've got to stop waiting for the anointed healing minister to come into town to do the magic for us or the anointed prophet to come and do the prophecy for us or the anointed evangelist or the anointed because his anointing the anointing that was on him says the scripture rests on you plural plural i believe in anointing But he anoints his whole church. When it comes to the ministry of Jesus, everybody gets to play. The only rule is play nicely and share the toys. Make love your aim, in other words. Play nicely and share the toys. And you see, the idea that it's the anointed few um, disenfranchises the whole of the rest of the church. And we're never going to reach the world with the gospel if we leave it for a few to do the magic to many. And, and the, the, the other side of this is he does anoint some people um, with a greater measure of teaching or evangelism or prophecy or whatever. There, there, is, there is measures to this, but, but the truth is it's for all of us. It's for all of us. I wasted too many years of my life telling Jesus what I wanted to do and asking him to bless it, I've discovered it's so much more fun finding out what he's doing and blessing that and joining in with... Why would, you ever, why would anyone want to have their own ministry when they can be involved in Jesus' ministry? Jesus' ministry is so much more fun. I don't want a ministry. Why would we want a ministry when we can be involved in his ministry? You see, it's, it's, I, this isn't just semantics. It, semantics doesn't matter. It's, it's an attitude of the mind and the heart. He wants to use you. He wants to use each one of us. And, and in all sorts of different contexts, it doesn't have to be. You know, what we do is we limit God to, to he has to do it in this way. And one of the things we've got to watch is when it comes to revival is those of us that were involved in the last revival can be the enemies of the next one. Because, well, how can this be revival? It didn't happen like this when, when I met the Lord, and when, when that happened, it, it, so it can't be. So I rule it out. Like, like in the scripture, God ever does the same thing twice. You know, <laughs> exactly. It's like, have you noticed? Have you noticed? It's always different. You know, he heals... He heals four people in the Gospels of blindness. And, and it's like, you know, I was looking, when I first looked at it, right, what, what's, the, what's the prayer that you say? What, what is it that you do? 
And um, the, the first time, it's, he just, it's very simple. It's see. Right, I'm going to memorize that. When I see, I'm going to see, see. Right, and then the next time, um, he spits on the ground and makes a paste with the mud and his saliva, and he puts it on the guy's eyes. And it was like, when I first read that, it was like, when am I supposed to do that? When, when do you do that? Is that a different kind of blindness? Is that when you're really, really very blind? I don't know. And then there's a third time when he doesn't even bother with spitting on the ground. He spits directly in the person's eye. And you're thinking, if I do that, I'm going to get my head kicked in. You know, you know, it doesn't work like that. And then there was another time when he actually, he actually prayed and come up the prayer of command twice. You know, the first time, the guy saw people like trees walking. He saw their skeletons, their outlines. He, he, one of the things about that is, hey, we're, it's about a relationship. It's not about rules and regulations. And when it comes to the ministry of the Spirit, I'm now really suspicious when someone says, right, when you do this, you've got to do it exactly like that. No, when, 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 when you're open to him, you do exactly what he tells you. And that, my friends, is scary. It is scary. It's, it's like, Lord, I'm out of my depth here. If you don't do anything, I'm in big trouble. That's a great place to be. That is a great place to be. It is so flipping exciting. It is so exciting. I, I remember... Oh, I need to watch the time. I remember... Um, uh, Sam, were you, were you there when we went to New Zealand and to Easter camp? With Blue, yeah. I don't know if it was that one or it was a, an, another... One of the first times I went, um, uh, they, they said to me uh, that at the end of your talk um, would do ministry and, um, and what you do is you get people forward and then we'll take over and we'll, we'll lead people out of that door and they'll go into this other big room where they'll meet their youth leaders and they'll sit in a little circle and they'll talk about why they responded. And that's ministry. And I thought, that's not ministry. <laughs> not how I know it. And I thought, but you know what? It's not my gig. I'm here as a guest. What you do is you serve people and you do what they say. So there was this one time, I think it was the last time I was due to speak, and during the worship, towards the end of the worship, I just felt the Lord say to me, and it, again, it's, it's just a whisper. It's just like, I've just had a thought. That's a funny thought. Why would I get that thought? Could that be you, Lord? Or could it be indigestion? And in my case, quite often, it is indigestion. By the way, um, you know, um, who, who is it that, that with the, the lunch we had... Yeah, um, I just felt the Lord say to me that we, you know that, that lemon cake, um, I, it, it, there's some left and if we can put it in, a, in foil and take it back, yeah, you sense the Lord saying that too, lovely, 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 you witness in your spirit, you see where two agree on anything and that's what we've just done, you see that's practically how you flow I'm still alive. He hasn't sent me to heaven, so we're all right. Uh, what was I just saying before I thought about the cake? Hmm? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. 
Sorry. <laughs> I'm getting old. Um, and, and, and so I just felt the Lord say, wait for me. Wait for me before you speak. And I had a battle. I was like, oh, no, Lord, no. They don't do this. We haven't taught on it. There isn't, they, they don't know about this. If I wait and nothing happens, what do I do? If I wait and something happens, everyone will freak. This is not a good idea. And I actually tried to start speaking. And I just knew I was being disobedient. And I said to them, I'm sorry, folks. Um, I just think Jesus might be saying, we, we just need to wait for a bit. So we just wait and just ask the Holy Spirit to do whatever he wants. And about 4,000 in, um, in that building, young people. And they were Baptists. And New Zealand Baptists are, you know, um, and this isn't being taped, is it? Um, and you know, that, I mean, they're very good with water, but they're not very good with much else. And, uh, um, and, and so, and it was like, oh, and I was dying. And we waited, and then honestly, suddenly, the Holy Spirit started to fall on people all over the room. And some kids were, started to weep, some started to laugh, some started to shake, some ended up on the floor. And there were kids standing there just like that. And after a while, it was pandemonium. And I saw the guy that was leading the conference, he was at the, on the bleachers at the back, and as soon as it kicked off, I saw him start walking down the bleachers. And I thought, uh-oh, he's making his way to the stage. And I, I remember saying to the Lord, Lord, I think you've got about two minutes. <laughs> I think you've got two minutes. And my friend, and he's my dear friend, Blue, he, he got up onto the stage. And by the time he got there, it was chaos. And to my shame, I promise you, I turned to him. And I said, I'm ever so sorry. <laughs> Can you imagine? I apologized for what the Lord was doing. How I'm still alive, I do not know. But do you know, it was wonderful. And then we talked together about how to bring order and how to, how to help people and help to explain and understand. And this is honestly, I was petrified. I was petrified. And all I kept thinking was, well, I'll never get invited back again, but it is the other side of the world, so it's all right. Do you know, the next morning, they had a meeting with the youth leaders, and the stories coming back were incredible. Blue told me that there was one bunch of youth leaders, they bought this kid who wasn't a Christian, who was really disruptive. They were about to put him on a bus home because they just couldn't have him there any longer. And they said that night, the spirit came on him and he was like, he, he said, they said, he's changed. He's changed. He, it's just something wonderful has happened. And as a result, they ended up um, doing meetings around New Zealand the following year on the Holy Spirit uh, for, for Baptists um, uh, everywhere. And do you know, I'd love to say to you, you know, the Lord spoke to me, God's man of faith and power. I just knew. And so I, it was like, Holy Spirit, off you go. Move over there now. Over there. No, what it was was, oh no, really? Really do I have to do this? Oh, okay. Oh my. 
oh my, how on earth did you do that, Lord? How did you? That's amazing. I promise you, it never gets old. It never gets old. I'm amazed every single flipping time. And you know, when we do the John 5 bit, I only do what I see my father doing. I only speak the words my father gives me to speak. Everything changes. Everything changes. And that's when you see the most beautiful things. And what we need to do as I come into land... Sorry, I can't read that properly. Yeah, as I come into land, as I definitely come into land, uh, what we, where are you going? <laughs> that was the worst intern I've ever had. I'm telling you. The worst intern I've ever had in 19 years. But anyway, please tell him I said that, yeah? Please tell him I said that. And Sorry, what was I saying? I'm coming into land. Thank you, that's so helpful. Um, (laughs) No, I'm coming into land by saying, um, uh, you know, on this, when you're convinced... Um, that, this, that something's important, you make it a priority. And I'm just convinced. And when you make it a priority, it becomes part of the DNA of the church. And I know you do, and I know it is part of the DNA. All I'm doing is I'm preaching to the choir, and I'm encouraging you to keep going and to go deeper, and to encourage individuals that God can speak to them, God can use them, and it's not a prize for holiness. It really isn't. And we're not against holiness. We're for holiness. Better to be good than to be bad. Yeah? That we, we are for. But it's not a prize for holiness. It's all a work of grace. And he uses us in our brokenness. And he uses us in our weakness. God's power is made perfect in weakness. And you know, the thing about that is, is that means, if you turn it around, that God's power is not made perfect in our strength. It is not. Because in our strength, we rely on ourselves. When we know we're weak, we have to rely on him. We have to make space for him. And I, I absolutely finish, if I may sit down, because I'm old, um, with, with, with this. We've been practicing this, as you have, in our church for years now. And it takes years. And after years, we've got a whole bunch of people who are really seasoned at hearing the Lord. They're really seasoned at hearing his voice. And we've, we've, we've got a culture of, it doesn't matter if you get it wrong. It doesn't matter if you get it wrong. No one, no one dies. But if it's Jesus, someone's life can be changed. So I love it if I get a, when I get a word and nobody responds. Because I can say, I got it wrong. And that gives everyone else permission. That gives everyone else permission. Um, so many stories I could tell. I was going to tell the one. Now, you know what? I'm going to tell... Um, couple of stories that will make me look really, really not so good. 
when I first started on this, um, I, um, uh, I was in Auckland, New Zealand. I was speaking at a church, and, and I started to step out with, if I thought it was God, I'd say it. And I gave out some words, and there were responses. And then I had this crazy word. And I thought, you know what? I'm the other side of the world. I'll go for it. And I said, I think there's somebody here that you, um, uh, 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 you've got a heart for North Korea, and you want to go on mission to North Korea, but God, God hasn't opened the way. And you're praying and you're asking God to open the way for you to go to North Korea. Where are you? We want to pray for you. This young lady came forward in tears. And I thought, I am good. This is going to go in my book. And they started praying for her. And after a while, I left and I started to go uh, back to where I was staying. And one of my colleagues... Um, he ran after me and just as I got to the entrance he caught me John Dean and he caught me and he said he was breathless he said I had to tell you about that girl that responded to the world for North Korea and I said tell me the details it's good when you put it the details in it makes it more authentic and he said well the thing is she's French and she doesn't speak much English and she came forward for prayer for her career <laughs> And she couldn't work out why everyone was trying to send her to Asia. <laughs> that, my friends, is the story. That's it. There's no redeeming features that I was gutted. And what gutted me the most is that my colleague was so excited that I got it spectacularly wrong. He couldn't wait till the next morning to tell me. Here's the one more. Last one. Um, we were encouraging our church to go out onto the streets to do, you know, to, to ask the Lord to speak on the streets. And then we thought, you know what, we can't ask them to do what we don't do. So my colleague Andy Croft and I, who now he leads the church on his own, but we led it together for a while, um, we decided that we'd go to the centre of Watford, to the entrance to the shopping mall, and we sat on a bench and we invited the Holy Spirit to come on the shoppers. And we, we sat there for, I don't know, half an hour looking for signs that the Spirit... You know, we thought that someone would be walking past with their shopping bags, and you know, but it didn't happen. And Andy broke first, and he said, I, I've, we've got to do something. He said, you see that old elderly man looking at the, at the shop window? He said, I'm going to go up to him. And I said, you go, mate. I will stay here and cover you in prayer. <laughs> and, uh, and I did, and Andy went up. And it was too far away for me to hear what was said. And I saw Andy go up, and he was really hesitant. And then he thought, I'm going to go in. And he said something to the guy. And the guy stepped away from him angrily. And I saw Andy turn back to me. You know, like a dog looks at its owner for encouragement, you know? And I was like... <laughs> like that. And then Andy took a deep breath, and he went back in. And this time the guy shouted at him and I heard F off and stormed away. And Andy came back with his tail between his legs and I said, what happened? And he said, well, the first time I went up to him and I said, this is a nice shop window, isn't it? I thought I'd make a start. And he, and he, he reacted badly and he stepped away and I thought, okay, I'll have another go. So I went up to him a second time and I said, do you come here often? And that's when he told me to F off. And I was in hysterics. I was crying with laughter. But then it was my turn. And I thought the Lord said to me that God was going to show me a lady who was walking with a limp and had a green coat. 
and that I was to pray for her. So I started walking around the, the shopping mall, um, the Harlequin, um, and, and I spent two hours. And it's really hard to find a lady with a limp and a green coat. I'm telling you, try it one day. And I really tried. And I ended up, after two hours, in Primark. And I was desperate. You, you, to go to Primark, you have to be flipping desperate. I was utterly, utterly desperate. And then I, in the ladies' department, the ladies' clothing department, I saw a lady, a short lady, who walked with a limp, and in the right light, her coat had, I think, flecks of green, and it was like, I've got to, I've got to do it. And so I went up to her, and like an idiot, I said, excuse me, but I'm really not weird. That's how I started. Um, I'm a follower of Jesus, and he told me to look for a lady with a limp and the green coat, and I was to pray for you. She shouted at me in the middle of Primark to F off and stormed away. That's it. That's the two stories. Here's my last one. A few years ago, at our festival, um, I felt the Lord say in the ministry time, there's someone here, I'm sure I've told you before, but... It's a good one, so I'll tell you again. Um, there's someone here um, who doesn't, I felt the Lord say, who doesn't believe in me, who doesn't follow me. His friends brought him. He's been mocking everything that's been happening, and he's been laughing at everything and teasing his friends. But he's just prayed to me just now in his heart for the first time. And he said, God, if you're real, if what they say is real, could you speak to me now? And then I felt the Lord say, and his name is Brian. And again, it was like, you know what? I've made a vow. I'm going to say everything I think you say to me. And so I said it. And I said, Brian, where are you? Can you come forward? Immediately, this 15-year-old lad walked forward, sobbing. His friends followed him. They were weeping. They prayed for him. That night, Brian gave his life to the Lord. And his friends told me the next day, he was walking around the campsite and he was going up to strangers and he was saying to them, he knows my name. He knows my name. What a way to become a Christian. What a way to give your life to the Lord. I didn't feel spiritual. I didn't feel holy. I had doubts. But look what happened. Here's the point. The only way you get to Brian is via North Korea. <laughs> It's via North Korea. Enjoy the North Koreas. Have a laugh at the North Koreas. Well, that didn't work out. Hmm. And that's how you get to the Bryans. Go for it. Amen. Um, is that you now? Do I give you the... Yes. The magic stick. Um, folks, we've got, we're going to have probably 20 minutes or so of some Q&A and then chance to a bit more prayer. Is that okay, Mike, if we do that? So um, if you booked in, you got a little email from me saying you can ask any question you'd like. And uh, so if you got the email and you replied, uh, we've got a few questions here. Um, and uh, so here we go. Um, there's a, f a few here. Maybe if we start off with one. Uh, quite a few people here might be leading Sunday gatherings. Quite a few are actually midweek church leaders. And there's a question here about uh, how do you make um, 
a service or a gathering, uh, both spirit-filled and uh, seeker-friendly. Uh, I've seen many churches that are spirit-filled, many churches that are seeker-friendly, but uh, the real challenge is how do you have them both? Um, and how do we put charismatic gifts into practice uh, when there might be kind of seekers or brand new Christians around? Any thoughts? Great question. Really great question. I think, uh, first of all, it is absolutely possible. And what's happened in our churches is we've gone in one or two direct of two directions. I remember um, uh, talking to Brian Houston, who was the senior pastor of Hillsong some years ago. And I said to him, uh, uh, I was there serving them in Sydney a little bit, and I said to him, hey, you're supposed to be a Pentecostal church, but you don't do any Pentecostal stuff. There's no ministry, no nothing. What's that about? And, uh, and he said, Mike, I grew up the son of a Pentecostal pastor. I grew up in the Pentecostal church. And what we would do is we'd, we would have meetings that would never end. We sang the same line for, you know, 45 minutes. Uh, we prophesied to each other. We prayed for each other. We fell down. We got back up. And we went on forever. And one morning I woke up and I thought, do you know what? No one's ever become a Christian at any of our meetings. And then I thought, no non-Christian would have the stamina to stay long enough to become a Christian. So he said, so I wanted to start a church for non-Christians to reach them and to communicate with them. And there's so much truth in what he said. But what I've been trying to share with my friends at Hillsong and other places is it doesn't have to be one or the other. There's a way of being naturally supernatural. And there's a way that you can stick to time. There's a way that you can, you know, you can be natural. And the way, I think, is, um, is just, first of all, being normal. Secondly, don't, don't kill everything with words. Don't hype or manipulate anything. Non-Christians and those on the fringe um, can smell it a mile off. So don't do it. And what we've learned is at the end of every service, at the end of every meeting, we have an opportunity for people to get prayer. And it becomes natural. And we start it before the meeting finishes. We make sure. it's What we don't do is say, okay, now the meeting's over. Um, over here is coffee. Over there is the bookstore. Over there you can get prayer. And uh, over there you can collect your kids. It's not one amongst four or five options. This is as important to us as worship and teaching. So it starts when we're all together and everyone sees it. And what we say, sometimes it's, if you'd like prayer for anything, to, to know Jesus, to be filled with the Spirit, to pray for healing of the heart or of the body, or for guidance or whatever, you just come forward and there will be folk here that would love to pray for you. And when you do that every week, when you do that, it's part of your liturgy, it becomes normal. And then after a while, what we do is once people have started praying, the rest of us will worship with a final song or two of worship. And then we have the blessing. And then we say, uh, when you want to go, feel free to go. But we're going to keep this at the front, a place of worship, a place of prayer. You can stay. And often lots of people stay and carry on worshiping. And then others who need to go, go. And then again, it, it, they've got the option. But also, um, we always explain. Always explain. So I'm always thinking, as a, a leader, um, what are people thinking? 
So those of you that went to the festivals in the summer ever, you'll know that often, um, the Lord said to me once, division of responsibilities. Mike, I, the Lord, am responsible for the people at the front. You, Mike, are responsible for the people at the back. And what he meant was, your job is to pastor everyone else. Those that I'm meeting with, I can do that. Your job is to pastor everyone else because I've made you a pastor. I'm not going to pastor them. I've asked you to do it. So I'm always thinking about the people, you you know what I mean, at the back. And so it's like, um, hey, no one has to do anything that isn't them. You be yourself. You don't have to do what everyone else is doing. And then as the spirit begins to move, um, I'm always thinking, what are people thinking? Uh, a couple of people started to shake and manifest. Someone's fallen over. Someone's crying. And then people are thinking, oh my goodness, what's going on? Is this out of control? And I say, you know, guys, the Lord's in charge. They're just, those that are on the floor, they're not unconscious. They're just resting in his presence. They're just having a rest. You ask them afterwards. They can tell you they had a wonderful time. It's like soaking in radox. You know, it's spiritually. Spiritually. And then, and then it, might, it might get a bit more. And then the next thing is, it feels like it's happening to everyone else except to me. What's wrong with me? Maybe I've committed the unforgivable sin. Maybe I've sinned against the Holy Spirit. Uh, what's wrong with me? Am I not spiritual enough? And that's when I say, if you're not feeling anything, neither am I. And then I would say, Ali, are you feeling anything? And she would say no. Then I would say, Andy, are you feeling anything? And he would say no. And I would say, Andy never feels anything. And again, the reason I would do that is just to break the tension. You know, laughter is a great way of breaking the, the, the yeah, the, just the, 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 the tension, the intensity. And so if you're not feeling anything, that's absolutely, if, if we all felt something, we'd be in real trouble because there'd be no one left to pray. But we're one body and he's got perfect timing for each of us. Then someone might scream out and it might be frightening. And then I'm thinking what they're saying. So, hey, um, uh, uh, that's, just, that's probably just pain coming out. You know, sometimes when in our culture, when we bury emotion and the, God's love is there and it gives us permission uh, to release that, sometimes it comes out in a thing. It, it's just Jesus is there and it's just it's just weeping in his arms it's a safe place then some people might sometimes when people start laughing um and then i'm thinking some some of them are thinking is all of this god this i'm not sure all of this is god and so i ask the question is all of this god and i give the answer of course not human beings are involved it's a mixture between us and god you know and most of it is our response to god and we all respond differently so I'll say, some of us are built more in touch with our emotions. So when God's presence comes, we respond emotionally, because that's how we're built. And I say, Ali, my colleague, I mean, she's so, you know, all you have to do is say hello to her and she cries. You know, she's so in touch with her emotions, she'll respond emotionally. Um, some of us are more in touch with our bodies, so we respond more physically. And so we, we do it like that. Some of us are, are, are more... Are more in our minds, so we respond more intellectually. Which is more, which is more holy? They all are. They all are. No one has to do what anyone else is doing. And sometimes some people try and help God out 
by responding in the way they think they should. And, and I'll tell a story about that. And we'll say, but please don't. You don't need to do that. We can just relax. We can just relax. So it's always explaining. And in the context of church, it's when people get used to it, it becomes so natural, it becomes so normal. Um, the second question here is about um, how do you help people grow in confidence in, spiritual, in growing spiritual gifts, um, particularly in midweek groups, so maybe a group of 10 to maybe 20. How could people here go away and help people to grow in the charismatic gifts? Again, just don't, don't hype it up. Be normal. Uh, one of the ways that I, I've done it in our, when we've, I've had um, small groups is um, we'll, we'll say, right, we're going to have a hot seat. And every week we're going to put the hot seat in the middle and we're all going to take it in turns to sit in the hot seat and the rest of us will gather around and we'll pray for the person in the hot seat. And then I'll say, and you can pray for them, um, uh, thank the Lord for them. And if God gives you a little word, just just share it. Just But here's how to share it. Don't say, thus saith the Lord, you, da-da-da-da-da. Say, I just think the Lord might be saying, you know, because that doesn't make it confrontational. And at first, what happens is everyone prays for the person and gives thanks for something they love about the person. And if that's all it is, the person's blessed because everyone's prayed for them. You know, that's not a failure. But the more you go into it, the more, and, and, and you might be the first one as the lead. You might say, uh, it could be wrong here, but I wonder if the Lord wants to encourage you in this. And it's like, yeah, actually, I've been praying about that. Really, isn't that encouraging? Or I think the Lord might be saying this. Does that make sense to you? Uh, not, not really. Uh, that's absolutely fine. Okay, came into my mind. I thought I'd say, and then everyone knows I have permission. And then people just start sharing a little bit. So it, you, learning to pray for people and to prophesy is like learning to cook, which I know a lot about food. You can, you can read all the cookery books. You can watch the DVDs. You can get all the advice. But in the end, the only way you really learn to cook is by cooking. And it's the same with this stuff. You can go to all the conferences, you can read all the books, you can hear all the talks, but the only way you grow in it is by doing it. And that means stepping out and having a culture where failure isn't failure and, and doing that in the group. And, and also just teaching on it, just very simply. It's, it might just be this thought that comes through your head. It might just be this gentle thing. It might be just a little picture you have and you think, what is that about? Feel free to say it, but one of the things as you grow in it is there's three levels to prophecy. Revelation, interpretation, and application. And you're allowed to ask the Lord, Lord, what does that mean? If I don't know, maybe I could share the picture anyway, and the Lord might give someone else the interpretation. So you go on a journey together, and it's not a pass-fail test, and it's not a test of spirituality. And the more you do that, do you know what? The more I've noticed gentleness and tenderness and love and mercy come into the group as we pray for one another and we see the Lord meeting each other. It softens everyone. Thanks, Mike. Uh, over lunch, we were talking about um, you and Andy and about leadership development. So there's a question about leadership development. Um, how do we raise up leaders uh, that look different from us? 
maybe different background, different leadership styles, different personalities. Uh, it's easy to have people who are like us, but how do we develop leaders that may be uh, a bit different to us? Gosh, um, I, I think <laughs> I've never raised up one leader that looks like me, and that feels like a failure. Um, well, actually, it's probably a great success. Um, but, you know, Andy, who now leads the church, he was my intern 18 years ago. He couldn't be more different to me. Um, and it's actually coming to the place where you're not threatened by people who have different gifts to you. And honestly, I was, you know, when we started our church, our first worship pastor was Matt Redman. Just think about what it, must, what it was like being the pastor of the church and having Matt as the worship pastor. Horrible. Horrible. I remember the first trip we went to South Africa. We came through customs and he just started to write songs. He just got had his first album out. And our hosts came to meet us and I was... And they walked right past me and they went up to him and I heard them saying, you must be Matt Redman. We recognize you from your album cover. Oh, we love your music. Oh, it's so wonderful. And I stood there while they were just, oh, Matt, Matt, Matt. And then eventually one of them wandered over to me and said, hello, and who are you? And I said, my name's Mike Pilavachi. Oh, what do you do, Mike? I pastor a church. Oh, what church do you pastor? A church called Soul Survivor Watford. Oh, Soul Survivor Watford. Isn't that Matt Redman's church? And I wanted to say, I'm also a homicidal maniac. But you've got to get to the stage where it doesn't matter. Um, I'm rubbish at pastoring people because I'm so disorganized. So our associate pastor a while ago was this lovely couple called Bob and Ruth Yule. And they were just like the parents of the church. And I remember one Sunday morning, as people walking in, I thought, I'm going to stand at the door and greet my flock. And I stood at the door, and I, I, hello, and they said, hello, and walked past me, and they went to Bob, and they, big hugs. And honestly, I stood there, and it was like, they love him more than they love me. Oh, I, I, mean, it, I mean it. It was like, ouch. And then the Lord said, well, isn't that how it's meant to be? And then with Crofty, I, I promise you this is utterly true. When he, when he started preaching, um, I was away. Um, I was away on a trip and I came back and he preached on the Sunday. And this old elderly lady in our church called Prue Bedwell. And, um, do you remember Prue? And she came up to me and completely oblivious. I said to her, oh Mike, how, how was... Um, um, I said to Prue, how was the service on Sunday, the Sunday morning? And she said, oh, Mike, it was wonderful. Andy preached brilliantly. And then she said, it's the best talk we've had in this church for years. <laughs> and then she, I suddenly saw the look of panic on her face as she realized what she'd said. And then she said, oh, oh, no, but your talks are very good as well. And I said... Too late, Prue. That ship has sailed. It's too late. And the truth is, you've got to love it because it's not about you. And you've got to not feel insecure. And, then, and also, God usually takes us through the pain of realizing that if everyone was like us, we'd be in real trouble. We would be in such trouble. I am a visionary. 
I can have 16 visions before breakfast. And I love being with visionaries because we can get all excited together. But we wouldn't know how to put anything into practice. And I used to regard administrators as the spawn of Satan. You know, they were the enemy. Because I have a dream, I have a vision. And then they'd say demonic things like, who's going to pay for it? Where are we going to get the people to do it? What about the other things that we do? What's the strategy? And, you know, I'd be like, you lack faith. You lack faith. And I had to realize they don't lack faith. They're asking questions that make it happen. And when they get it, after I've gone on to the next thing, they'll stay on that until it happens. I won't. And you just realize that it's a joy to have people with different strengths and gifts than you. That's pretty. Thanks, Mike. Um, a question here about uh, Aysbury, if that's okay. So um, someone's listened. Asbury, sorry, Asbury. Uh, sorry, Asbury. Aysbury. Asbury. Um, uh, so this person listened to Pete Gregg's interview about the experience there um, and about some of his observations. So he's kind of talking about uh, Gen Z and described the generation of young adults as a generation that is exhausted from the obvious stimulation of negative information that feeds constantly... Uh, negative information that feeds constantly into them through uh, social media and global news outlets. A generation that's fed up with the church and leadership that hypes itself up. A generation that is at the end of itself, not knowing how to respond to the extent of human struggle in the face of oppression, war, global crisis, health crisis, etc., etc. As a result, this generation is hungry for a move of God that's authentic, maybe even stripped back. Uh, do you see this as a comment on how the global church might need to redirect its attention and resources? Um, and what do you think about those comments? First of all, I thought you were asking me about Aylesbury, and I was thinking, what's going on in Aylesbury? Um, to be honest with you, I mean, if Pete Gregg says it, that must be right, um, but I'm, I'm, I don't even understand half of it. I'm just not very clever. Um, I'm sure that's right. I'm sure he's, it's a great analysis, but I can't remember half of what you've even said there. Um, I, I think there is, there is truth. The only thing I would say is that is true and we need to understand it. Of course it is, but I think it's more than just Gen Z. I think there's a lot of others that would fall into that category as well. Uh, but human beings have always been human beings and, you know, we do the same things. We love people, we care for people, we're consistent, um, we're humble, we're teachable, um, we include... Um, we we help people know that they can come out of their shame. And I think that particularly for Gen Z um, works. And I think I agree about, you know, the hype and the, you know, and I love what's happening in Aylesbury and also the other place. Um, I love what's, I love it. I love it. It's wonderful. It's wonderful. My only plea is that we don't, we don't market it and hype it up, you know, it's the, if it's the Lord, and I believe it is, you know, it'll, ha- it'll happen, let's not, that's what we do, we can get onto the, you know, and, and I can't go onto Twitter without everyone's making comments on it, and it's wonderful, it is absolutely wonderful, let God do it, and let's, let's long, let it, let it bring in us a longing, oh Lord, meet me, and Let's just always remember, and I'll say every, every revival, it's about a person, not a place. 
It's about a person, and and places matter, and God does things in places. I think Pete, who's brilliant, um, has has got it right. Uh, but I I think we mustn't, at the same time, in our response, overcomplicate. It's a wonderful opportunity, just to be normal, to be family, to be accepting, you know, to do what we're trying to do, and just to do it more. I think that's not a great answer. But I, I think Pete's saying it great. It's just that I'm not on... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> great. He, he has, there's a podcast out there somewhere that is very good, so um, you can Google it. Um, Mike, there's the, just a couple more questions. Um, so a question about being a leader as a single person. So quite a few people here would be single and will be leading. Um, and again, uh, they say that, of course, people like Paul would say that singleness is, is great. Um, but it does seem as though leadership can be uh, less lonely if you have a spouse, maybe to share the emotional load. Um, uh, but, uh, yeah, what's it been like as a, as a single leader? And how do we have enough single leaders in the church at the moment? Do we have the right perspective around singleness and leadership? Um, and if not, how can that be improved? Lots of things there. I think that might have to be the last question because this this is a whole this is a whole conference. Um, I'll try and answer it briefly. Um, I think there's what we mustn't do is those of us that are single is get militant about it. Um, I, I really do. Um, uh, I think I I I totally honour marriage, and I love you know. It's such a privilege every time I'm involved in someone's wedding. You know, it's the most wonderful thing, and we want to strengthen and honour marriage. At the same time, the idea that married, if you're married, you're automatically not lonely, and if you're single, you're automatically lonely. Let's live in the real world. That's just a load of tosh, you know, nonsense. It's just not true. You know, I've met I've met married people who are the most lonely people I know. Um, so it, that's not necessarily. But we honour marriage and we love marriage. For me, as a single person, I discovered that there's two equal mistakes that you can make. Because um, I was very broken, um, and I still am. But um, my growing up years were horrific and very painful. And I was useless at relationships. So I messed up every kind of relationship I had. And I remember I got to 33, and it was my final um, possible relationship, and it went wrong again. Um, And um, I remember I, I came to a place where I had to make a choice, and it was like, you know what? Either I'm going to waste more of my life waiting until I meet someone who will complete me and then I will be able to start serving and living life to the full. Or I do what Paul says and I make every day count. And the first mistake we can make if we're single is we can waste time waiting for something that might not happen to authenticate us. And so that we feel, you know, the, the, the latest statistic that's just come out from the census from 2021 39.7% of the population have never, adult population, have never been married or cohabited, lived with someone in a civil partnership. 39.7%. It's now just over 50% of the adult British population are single. 
So, you know, that's the statistic. And we need to, to, to minister there as well. But we hold a high view of marriage. So the first thing is don't wait for something that might never happen. And I decided I'm going to give my best shot to the one life I have. I have. And do you know, I, I've had the most incredible life. You know, I've, I've never been married. I would have loved to have been married. I would have loved to have had children. That's the honest truth. I would have loved to. But I've had the privilege now of having been best man at 19 weddings. And I got to be father of the bride once. And I have friends of, which was amazing, which was amazing, you know. This girl who had been in my youth group, um, she, she came up to me and she said, will you be my dad on my wedding day? And I said, are you serious? And she said, you forgot what I told you when I was 13. And I said, what did you tell me? And she said, I said to you that if her dad committed suicide when she was little... And she said, I said to you when I was 13, that if I ever get married, I want you to be my dad because you're the nearest thing I've ever had to a dad. Do you know, driving with her in the car, knowing her since she was seven, walking down the aisle with her, giving the father of the bride speech, I, I, it's one of my happiest memories, my most moving memories. And, so, and I, I've never had kids, but I've got godchildren coming out my ears. It's bank- no, it's bankrupting me. It's ridiculous. And I, I take the role seriously. You know? I, you know, I get involved in their lives. You, know? you should see the biggest, the only rows I have with Andy and Beth Croft is over the bringing up of their four boys. You know, because I have very firm views which are correct. And, you know... And all of that. And I love it. I love it. I love it. So, number one, don't waste a moment because you'll miss it. And the idea that intimacy can only be found in sex is a lie of our culture. You can have intimate relationships that are not sexual. You really can. You really can. It's a lie of our culture. The second mistake that you can make, which I also made for a while, is I remember saying to a friend of mine, um, Steve Clifford, you know Steve, who, who ended up um, heading up the Evangelical Alliance. He, he chaired our leadership team for a while um, before the EA stole him. And, uh, and I remember saying to Steve, um, saying, oh, I'm so glad I'm single. I'm so glad I'm not like my married friends. I can go home any time I want. I can eat what I want when I want. I don't have to load the dishwasher if I don't want to. I can leave my clothes on the floor. I can leave the toilet seat up. I can go on holiday wherever I want at the last minute. I don't have to go to centre parks. Oh, it's, it's, it's wonderful. And Steve just looked at me and he said very quietly and very gently, he said, and with real compassion, he said, Mike, it must be wonderful to be able to be as selfish as that. <laughs> oh, stab me in the heart, why don't you? And do you know what? That was the best thing anyone could say to me. And I realized, hey, because I'm single, my life is still not my own. I, my life, I, I belong to a body. And, and do you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to you know, my money is not mine to spend just exactly as I want. My time is not mine. You know, you know I, I've lost count of the number of people who have keys to my house. 
You know, I love it. When I'm away, I know people have been because the freezer's empty. And I know when Andy's been because my bookshelf has got, is empty. And, you know, people borrow my car. And, you know, I, I, and, you know, the, the Croft boys, um, they come one Saturday morning a month. They come round to Uncle Mike's. And, you know, and we hang out. And then mum and dad come and we have lunch together. It's a highlight of my month. And it's like, you know what? We're here to serve and we're here to submit to one another, whether we're married or single. And whether you're married or single, you have the choice. Serving is the way to joy. It really is. And so I think as a single person, you know, I used to, I'll finish with this. You know, I used to, when, when my married friends with families, when they used to invite me for dinner, I, I, I couldn't help thinking, are they doing it because I'm poor single Mike? Oh, he's all lonely. The single he sets in families, so we better invite him for dinner, but we hope he doesn't stay long. And, you know, I'd go and I'd be looking for signs and, and I'd try and be as helpful as I could uh, and everything and, and talk to the kids and, and, and all of that. And then, and then I'd be looking, are they giving each other a look? When's he going to go? We've got other things to do. And then I'd go before it, I, I'd overstay my welcome. And I would do that. Now, I go to my friends, I knock on the door, they open the door and I say, I have just arrived to make your life better. <laughs> and I believe it. Because everybody needs an Uncle Mike in their lives. Everyone does. I can help them with their children. I can help them in their marriage. <laughs> I can, you know, it's like we all have a contribution to make. And, and we do it in team. And so when we do it in team, it, it's a wonderful thing. So that's my best answer I can give. <laughs>